Take your Bibles this morning and turn to John 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to just read verse number 8. John 15 and verse 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We talked last week about, uh, started talking about our, our mission statement again, and we're doing that, we said, because we really want to be a church uh, who lives this out. We, we don't want to be a church who just hangs uh, something on the wall that sounds good, and, and we can put it on logos and things like that. Uh, we, we really want to be a church that exists for the glory of God. And uh, the, the second part of that is really what we're going to focus on this morning is that we exist at Union Baptist Church for the glory of God, uh, to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, the way that we bring glory to God most fully uh, in, in Scripture is by being and making disciples of, of Jesus Christ. You see this in our verse uh, this morning. By this is my Father glorified. How do we bring glory to God? Well, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The, the fruit that we bear uh, is the, the, the things that come up in our life that demonstrate that we really are like Jesus Christ. Christ, that we are his disciples. Uh, we want to recognize, first of all, that this idea of growing disciples really has two components. There are two parts of, of growing disciples. One, uh, and often what we typically think about when we talk about making disciples, what's the first thing you think about? You think about evangelism. You think about going out in the community, sharing the gospel in your, in your workplace or in your family, uh, and seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we talk about making disciples, so often we talk about missions and we talk about evangelism. And, and no doubt that is one key component of making disciples. And actually, we're going to talk about that next week. But one, another aspect of, of disciple making is, is this, and that is our, our own personal discipleship. Many, many Southern Baptist churches uh, really have, have uh, failed in, in this respect because they emphasize the need to go and make disciples in terms of evangelism and missions. That's no failure at all. That's not a problem. The, the problem is that they've done that and neglected uh, to talk about my personal discipleship. I need to be growing uh, in, in the, my likeness to Jesus Christ. I need to be living out my faith and growing and maturing and becoming more and more like Jesus. When we talk about this, we talk about discipling. That's a, that's a verb and that's what we do for other people. It starts with evangelism. We share the gospel. People come to faith in Jesus Christ and then we begin to help them follow Jesus Christ. But when we use the word discipleship, it's a noun uh, and we're talking about our personal journey uh, of following Jesus Christ and the growth uh, that we have in, in that process. That's what we want to focus on this morning. Uh, next week we'll focus on the act of helping others to follow Jesus. But what we want to see this morning is that we should be those who are committed personally uh, to growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. To more and more, day after day, year after year, to become more like Jesus Christ. Now we saw last week that the, the purpose of our lives is, is to give glory to God. 
Glorifying God is not something that we, uh, we just do at church. Glorifying God is eminently practical. It's something that, that really permeates everything that we do. The way that we parent. Uh, the way that we even think about eating food. The, the, the way that we interact in our marriage. Everything that you do uh, should be done for the glory of God. It's eminently practical. It's not just something we do at a worship service. It's something you do in every moment of every day. Either you're giving glory to God in that act or you're, you're not. Not only that, though, we, we saw that really it should be the chief motivation. Whether you eat or drink, Paul says, do all for the glory of God. It, it's got to be the chief motivation. So, so it's not just that my desire to glorify God is one motivator for me among many. So I also want to make a lot of money. And I also want uh, my kids to be good at sports. And I also want uh, to have a certain type of job and, and have this career. And, and I've got all of these desires in my life. And one of those desires is to glorify God. No, no. Paul is saying there that the chief motivator, the the chief desire for us as believers should be to to glorify God. We know that because uh, in that statement, there's no way you can glorify God in everything that you do. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The only way you can do all for the glory of God is if the glory of God is your chief motivation in in your life. So what we want to see this morning, though is that if the glory of God is our chief purpose, then becoming like Jesus, becoming like Jesus is the chief means of bringing about glory to God. If you want to glorify God, do you know how you do that? Well, the the chief way that you bring glory to God is by becoming like His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we say in, in our mission statement, we exist to glorify God By growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Because this is the means. This is the avenue. This is the way that we bring glory to God. By growing disciples. Meaning personally us following the Lord. And growing in in our likeness to Christ. And by helping others to to know and to follow Jesus Christ. Why is it? Let's stop and think this morning. Why is it that becoming like Jesus is the chief pathway of glorifying God? Why is that? Well, we know, if we just think about the big story of, of the Bible, we've got creation. In creation, God created Adam and Eve. He created this world. He created Adam and Eve in His image. They were perfectly in, in the image of God. They, they perfectly submitted to God. God was the authority and they were in submission to Him. And they were in perfect fellowship with Him. They, were, they experienced fellowship with God in the garden. So you had... They, they were image bearers, they were submitting to Him, and there was fellowship. All three of those components. But we know that the story doesn't go very long in, in the Bible before sin entered, to, entered into the world. And what does sin do? Sin is rebellion. No longer were they submitting to God. Uh, sin broke that image, it distorted that image, uh, so that God can now say things like in, in the book of Deuteronomy, I am not like a man that I should lie. That's a way that we no longer bear the image of God. We don't reflect God's image, His character, because we do things like lie. We do things that are unrighteous and unholy. So that, that image that we had at the beginning is distorted. 
So no longer are we in submission to God. No longer are we bearing the image of God like we were created to do. But also the fellowship is broken as well. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. The the relationship that they have with God is fractured. And so God now, at post-sin, post-fall, is no longer receiving glory in in the created order as He was, as He originally intended and designed it to to do. Well, we know that Jesus came, the Bible calls Him in the book of Romans, the second Adam. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does all of the things that Adam and Eve were created and designed to do. As the second Adam, He comes and what does He do? He perfectly submits to the the Father. So John 8, 28, I do nothing of my own authority. John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. He perfectly obeys the Father as Adam and Eve were created to do. He's in perfect fellowship with the Father. I and the Father are one. The Father's in me and I'm in in the Father, he says in John 10, 38. There's perfect, unbroken fellowship with the Father. And then thirdly, he reflects the Father perfectly. He says in John 14, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. That's because I I perfectly bear the image of God. We we see that in Hebrews 1, that He's the exact imprint of His nature. And so Jesus does all of the things, the the fellowship, the, the submission, the image bearing, all the things that Adam was created to do, all the things that were meant to bring glory to God in creation. Now Jesus restores that. And here's here's where it comes down to us. Jesus brought glory to the Father by, by doing those things. And now we, as we begin to follow Jesus Christ, as we become disciples of Jesus Christ, we begin to do the things that Jesus did. Our, our relationship with the Father is restored. We begin to become like Jesus Christ so that we bear the image of Jesus Christ, which is bearing the image of God. We begin to bear that image that was lost and distorted in in the fall. And our fellowship with God is restored as well. So that's why John can say, or Jesus can say in John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus brought glory to the Father. And when we become like Jesus, when we become disciples of Jesus, and as we increase and grow in that discipleship following Jesus, the more and more we do that, the more and more we're bringing glory to God. Now, none of us does that perfectly, right? But to the degree that we become like Jesus, we bring glory to God. And and our life really should be a life of progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. In other words, if if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, say you were saved this year, by next year you should be more like Jesus, and two years from then you should be even more like Him, and and 30 years from now, some of you got 30 years left, some of us don't, uh, but but 30 years from now you should be even more like Him. None of us is going to fully become like Christ in every way perfectly, but, but we should increase in that. Our life... The second thing this morning, our, our life should be a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. What I want us to do is just look at a few passages and see, listen, the overarching purpose, God's goal for you, what should be occurring in your life is that you should become more and more like Jesus. 
Like the preeminent thing. Like we know that the, the goal, the purpose of it is that we would give glory to God. But the preeminent way that we do that is by becoming more and more like Jesus. So let's look at a few passages. The first this morning is Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Here we see that being a follower of Jesus has the implicit goal of becoming like Him. Being a follower of Jesus, the implicit goal. When you say, I'm a Christian, the implicit understanding of that statement is that my goal in life is to become like Jesus Christ. Is that your goal this morning? Is that what's driving you? Like, I'm, for, I'm living for the glory of God, and I know that the way that I do that is by becoming more and more like Jesus. When you woke up this morning... When you woke up this morning, on your mind and on your heart, was your desire to bring glory to God by becoming like Jesus Christ? It should be. And you kind of maybe laugh about that. And think, oh yeah, I didn't really think about that. But, but it really ought to be for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus, what he's doing here is he's taking something that was very common in their day uh, to be a disciple was was similar to being what we might think of sort of as an apprentice. You you follow somebody that's skilled. They're a master at it. You, You go to work every day with them. And they teach you everything they know. That was sort of the mode of education. They didn't really have colleges and universities in this time. In the ancient world, you went, if you wanted to learn a trade or if you wanted to become a philosopher uh, and and you were able to do that and chosen to do that, you would go walk alongside somebody. You would basically live with them and learn everything that they know. And they would pass that on to you. It's it's a wonderful uh, way uh, of teaching. But Jesus picks that up and and he uses that that way of teaching and learning to say this is what it means to be one of my followers. You're a disciple. You're someone who comes alongside of me and the goal is for you to learn what I'm like and then to live this live this way. And what what he's saying here is as that process goes on when you when you reach the the process of completion the goal would be that you're what? You're like the teacher. That, that's the goal of Christianity. You see, God didn't save you just so you can kind of float along and live out the rest of the remainder of your life and then one day go to heaven. No, no. He's got a purpose for you. And the purpose is that every day, day after day, you're learning from Jesus Christ and you're becoming more and more like Him. That's the goal. When you become a Christian, you become a follower of Jesus and the goal of following Him is to learn to be like Him. The goal of following Jesus is not just to get out of hell. The goal of following Jesus is just not to get a ticket to heaven or not just to have eternal life one day and and, and get to live in heaven with all of your loved ones. The goal of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to become like Him. That's what He says. How's your progress on that? Are, Are you seeing growth? Are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? Could you point out ways... This year, uh, this month, that you are more like Christ than you were last year. I, I think all of us, if we were, if we're following Christ faithfully and, and we really gave it some thought, we ought to be able to point out some things that are different about us now that are more like Jesus and less like us over time. This really, this plan of becoming like Jesus is really God's eternal plan for you. Romans chapter eight twenty eight. You all know this verse. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And that's where we really typically end the verse. We, we take our scalpel and we cut that little verse out. Sometimes we will post it on memes on Facebook. Sometimes we might write it in a journal and we say, everything in my life is working out for good. But you see the, the problem with what we do with that verse is that we take that word good and we can use that same scalpel. We cut out what Jesus means or what God means by, by good and we fill our own meaning. All things are working out for my good, which means I'm going to have that relationship that I want. It, it means that, that I'm going to have financial security. It, it means that in the end I might go through a few trials, but my life is going to turn out to be serene and peaceful and without any difficulty. All things are going to work out. It's going to turn out for good, right? But that's not at all. That's not at all what God means when He says that all things are going to work out for, for good. They're going to work out together for good. Let's, let's keep reading that. I encourage you to turn there. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, now here's a big important statement, who are called according to His purpose. You see, what we say is all things are going to work out for good, meaning my purpose in life, what, what I want out of life, they're going to work out for, for good. But if that's, your, if that's your thinking about what God's doing in your life, you will be disappointed, I can guarantee you that. They're working out for good, meaning they're working out according to His purpose. Now He goes on to tell us what is the purpose of God. What's God's purpose for you? Well... His purpose for you is the same as His purpose for me. If you're, if you're one of His children, He says, For those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Meaning ahead of time. This is where I get the idea that this is God's eternal plan for you. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what is God's plan for you? What is the good that, that is the purpose of God that everything is working in your life for this, for this goal, for this good goal? What is the good goal? The good goal is that He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. God, if you are one of His children, is making you like Jesus in every minute detail, all things, everything that's happening in your life is working out for that goal. Everything in your life is not working out so you will have relational bliss. Everything in your life is not working out that you will be healthy, that you have serenity in your life, that you will be trial-free, problem-free. That is not the good that God is working in your life. His purpose in your life, His eternal plan for your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. But... The somewhat bad news for us at times is that the way that happens is often through trials. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus suffered. And so much of our life sometimes is marked by suffering precisely because God's working it out for our good. Namely, that He's making us like Jesus Christ. That's God's eternal plan for you. This is also the purpose of ministry in the church. What, what, what are we doing here? What is the purpose of Union Baptist Church? What, what's the goal of pastors and teachers and everybody using their gift? What is it? Well, hopefully you remember Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Talking about Jesus Christ, He ascended into heaven, He gave gifts to the church, and these gifts, He says, are apostles. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers... 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the goal of everybody using their gifts in the church? Why does God place us all here and give unique gifts that we can minister to one another? Well, the the goal is that we would attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. We We want to grow in knowledge. Certainly that's part of it. But to be a follower of Christ, to grow in Christ, doesn't just mean to grow in more and more knowledge of Him. There are some people who have books full of knowledge about Jesus Christ, but guess what? They don't look like Jesus Christ and act like Jesus Christ at all, or very little. The goal is that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but also into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, you're to grow up, as he goes on to say in verse 15, to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. You're to be growing up into Jesus Christ. As as you progress in your life, more and more you should know more about Christ. You should know more about the Lord. But that's not the extent of it. You should also look and act more and more like Jesus Christ. He says that you would grow up in every way. In every way into Jesus Christ. Every facet of your life. Not just coming to church, not just your religious life, every facet of your life, in every way, you should be growing up into Jesus Christ. We see the same concern Paul has in Colossians 1.27. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. There's this great mystery. Christ is in you. The hope of of glory. Him we proclaim. We we proclaim Jesus Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone. Paul saying, I'm warning everyone. I'm proclaiming Christ. I'm warning them. I'm teaching them with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul said, "This this is my mission. We know Paul the great evangelist, don't we? We know Paul the missionary that that took the gospel forward. But Paul wasn't just concerned to keep writing back and say, Hey, ten more have entered the kingdom. Hey, I preached the gospel and 50 people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Paul did that. Paul Paul did lead people to to convert, to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, that was part of it, but that wasn't the extent of it. Paul didn't just do that. No, no. Paul says... Look, I struggle. I toil with all the energy that God gives to me. And why? That I may present everyone mature in Christ. It's not enough for you to make a profession of faith and walk an aisle and be saved. No, the goal of ministry, the the goal of Paul's ministry was to present people mature in Christ. Not just mature in knowledge. Not just to have, wow, that pe- they, they can really pass a test on theology. They know the Word of God front and back. I mean, they know it all. No, no. To be mature in Christ is to be like Jesus. So in order to do that, in order to become more and more like Jesus, this is God's plan for us. It's a goal of ministry. It's God's eternal plan. But in order for that to happen, we must be committed to this process of change and growth. 
Are you committed to a process of change and and growth? Every Christian should be involved in and committed to a change process uh, in which they personally are becoming more and more like Jesus. Are you committed to that? Is that that in your thinking? Is that register on, on the way that you think about your life? The Bible calls this process sanctification. And, and David Pallison says that sanctification is discipleship into the Jesus way of life. It is growing more and more like Jesus. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's will for you. What's God's will for my life? I just don't know what He wants, you to, wants me to do. I do. I may not know every particular detail, but this I know the big picture. The big picture is He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is something that God does in us. It's, it's done by the power of God. Uh, but, but it's not something that happens apart from our effort. So Paul tells us in Philippians 2.12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. So Paul's saying there, you work out what God is working in you. It's His power. It's His strength. It's Him bringing this about. But, but it doesn't happen apart from your efforts. You see, you're not going to just wake up one day and you, know, you plug in at night and shut down and uh, you, you get an update from the cloud. And the next day you wake up and you've got all these new features that, that you're just more like Jesus. Oh, I woke up today. Wow, look at that. No, I, I no longer struggle with lust. Oh, wow, my anger is just gone. That's cool. They, they, they fixed that bug. God fixed that bug in me, and, and now I'm just different. No, no, no. That's not the way this process works. This process is definitely and certainly God is at work in you through His Spirit. But it is a, it is a process that involves your effort. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who's working in you. He's working in you, but you're working it out. And so we must be committed. Our effort is required. Therefore, we must be committed to a process of change and growth. You know, nothing good ever happens, does it, without effort? You don't just wake up one day and realize, hey, I've saved enough for retirement. Wow, I didn't even plan on that. I didn't even work for that, but it just happened. You know, oh my goodness, wow, I've just, man, I lost 30 pounds. I've been eating like I did before. I didn't even try. No, nothing good in your life happens apart from effort. And certainly we need the grace of God. Certainly it is God working in us. But you don't wake up one day ten years down the road and say, Man, I am such a mature Christian. I have grown so much. I never read my Bible. I was hit or miss at church. I really don't pray that much. But God just made me like Jesus. It's not going to happen. You've got to put in the effort. You have to be committed to this process of change and growth. Now here's something you need to realize if you don't already realize that, which I'm sure you do. And that is the process of change and growth is brutally difficult. The process of change and growth in your life is brutally difficult. How many of you here would really just say, man, I love change. I just love change. I just love to go into work and things are all different. I I love to come into my house and somebody's rearranged the furniture. No, none of us. I I was struggling with change this morning. Jeff did three songs before the offering instead of two. That just threw me, what's going on? I got my Bible, I'm ready to go. He's like, no, no. Man, this throws us for a loop. We don't like change. 
We really don't like change when it kind of deals with the fundamental parts of who we are. Our, our character and, and our, our normal behavior. Well, we don't like that. One person I heard speak recently is a counselor. And he said, you know, one of the interesting things is that people come in all the time to this counselor. And, and basically, they don't say these words. But he says, this is what they're asking for. They, they say, I want my life to be completely different. But I don't want anything to change. I don't want to change any of my actions. I don't want to change the way that I live. But I want all my relationships to be different and better. It just doesn't happen that way. We struggle with change. Churches are notoriously bad for for not wanting to change. I've I've heard this joke for years about search committees who are looking for pastors. And they want a pastor who's going to... Everything's going to be different. They're going to be growing. They're going to be experiencing revival. But they're not going to change anything. Right? That doesn't work. If you want different results, a lot of times, guess what? You've got to do different things. And so we, we struggle with... Uh, the idea of change. Sometimes we're ruthlessly committed to the status quo. Our, our natural inclination is to stridently resist change. The reason that is, especially in our behavior and, and things that are fundamental to our character, it, the reason it is is because the, the reason we do what we do is because it's what's comfortable. It's what's easy. It's what seems natural to us. So circumstances happen in our life. That There are things that occur. There are situations that arise. And what do we do? I mean, nine times out of ten, for most of us, our natural inclination is to do what's easy, to do what is comfortable. But guess what? Probably about the same ratio, nine times out of ten, the easy and comfortable thing is not the right thing to do. And so when we talk about changing and saying, you know... These, these circumstances happen and you reacted wrongly and that, that sin and you need to change. You need to grow. You need to become more like Jesus. And we automatically think Me, that, that means I've got to stop doing this. I've got to do something else. That's a lot harder. That's going to be difficult. And so we, we resist that. I like the way I do it because it's what's easy. It's what's natural to me. We don't change because we love ease and, and comfort. This is why... This is why the the change process... Do you know, I said the change process is called sanctification. But what are the metaphors that are used for this sanctification? What are the metaphors that are used in the Bible for this change process? Well, they're not pretty. Mostly, they're pictures of death. So you have something like what Jesus says in in Luke 9.23. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You see, if you're going to change, you've got to deny those fundamental urges that you have. Those fundamental desires of your heart to act this way. This happens, somebody says something to me, and this is what I do because it's what feels right to me. No, no, Jesus says, let him deny himself. If you want to follow me, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you pick up on that? How did Jesus describe what it would be like to follow Him? He described it as a crucifixion. And not just a one-time crucifixion. You all know what a crucifixion is. It, was, it still is one of the most horrendous deaths that you could experience. You hang there until, and, and you're blood and beaten uh, uh, until basically you suffocate to death. 
Right? It's not a pretty picture. It's, it's a gruesome death. And Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, that's what it's going to be like. If, if you want to follow me, it's going to be a slow, painful death. A death to your own desires. A death to what seems natural. A death to what is easy. It's not going to be easy to follow me. It's going to be like a, a crucifixion. But notice he doesn't just say one time, does he? He doesn't say this is not just a one time thing. How often do you take up your cross? Daily. This is an everyday kind of thing. So, so you have that urge. There's that woman who, who looks attractive and you have that urge to look at her and think about things that are impure. And what do you have to do? You have to die to that. It doesn't come easy. It isn't natural. You've got to fight against every urge in your body to do what is wrong. And, and you fight against it. What, what do you do? That person crosses you. They, they say the wrong thing. And your natural urge, it just boils up within you, right? There's this urge to just lash out at them and give them a piece of your mind and tell them what you've been thinking a long time. That's the urge. What do you have to do? You have to die to yourself. It, you, have to, you have to put those desires on the cross and let them die. And you don't just do that one time and get rid of your anger. Like, oh, I did that once. My anger problem is gone. My, my lust problem is gone. My, my, my covetous problem that is just gone. I, I beat it one time and now it's over. No, no. It's coming back tomorrow. Take up that cross again the next day. And it's coming back the day after that. And, and for most of us, the sins that we struggle with, we're still going to be putting them on the cross on the day that we die. The day that we draw our last breath of air, we're going to be fighting those same sins. They're not going anywhere. The change process is, is a horrific process. Paul uses a similar analogy. It's an analogy of death. But this is an analogy of, of warfare. It's a battle to the death. Colossians 3, five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Put these things to death. That's not easy. Right? We can sit in church and we can talk about, oh yes, we, we, need, to, uh, we need to be sanctified. But this is, this is talking about tomorrow morning when you're fighting with your spouse and that anger just comes up. Put it to death then. We're not talking about just agreeing and being able to say, yeah, this is a good idea. We're talking about actually becoming more like Jesus Christ. This change process of putting our sinful desires to, to death. Paul uses that again in Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, that's what seems natural to you. That's who you are. Your sinful desires, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This too is an ongoing process. Put, Put to death every day these desires. Why why is this change process pictured in, in such dramatic fashion? Well... When we give up things that seem like they're a part of us, it feels very much like a death has occurred, doesn't it? You know what it's been like. For those of you who struggle for some, with something like anger, you know how much that just seems like a part of you. This just seems like who I am. It, it, this seems like the right thing to do. When somebody crosses me and that anger wells up inside of me, I feel like this, this is justice, right? 
I've got a perceived wrong here. And in order for me to do what is right, I need to come down on them because I've got to make everything fair and just. And it's one of the hardest things in the world. It's one of the hardest things in the world to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that up. I'm not going to yell at that person. I'm not going to call them names. I'm not going to work back channels to try to, to work against them. I'm just going to give that anger up. I'm going to give, as the Bible says, I'm going to give room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And, and I'm going to let God take, take vengeance on this. I'm going to let God deal with this person. One person I heard say recently, he said, you know, uh, there's two options when somebody sins against us. There's one of two things that God is going to do. Either one, that person's a believer or they're going to be a believer. And, and the death of Christ was the payment for, for their sin against you. Or number two, this person is apart from Christ, outside of Christ, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. And so this person said, we've got to just get to the place where either, either hell or the cross of Christ has got to be enough for us. I don't have to take vengeance on that person. I'll just let God take care of that issue. But doing that feels like a death. It feels like I'm letting something go here. I just can't. Some of us, we can do that on small things or things that, well, I could be wrong about this. But but when we know this person really has wronged me, but I'm just going to let it go. And I'm going to forgive them. And I'm going to let God deal with them. That feels like a death. That's, that's the kind of death that we're to die every day. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Put to death what is evil within you, in, in your flesh. I know for me, sometimes, I, I think God has gifted me. He's, he's wired me in a certain way. And one of the things that, that I see about myself is that I, I think God designed me to be a leader. I think He called me as a pastor and there are certain things about me that want to, to lead people. If you just put, put me in a room and we've got a, a problem, I'm going to be thinking through this, the, the situation and if, I, if I'm able to see, hey, I think this is what we need to do to solve this problem, this is the direction we need to know, need to go, uh, I, I'm going to try to mobilize people. I'm going to try to convince them, let's, let's do this. Let's do this step and this step and this step and we're going to fix this problem. That's just the, the way that I'm designed. In so many ways, that can be a good thing. God, God uses leaders. God makes leaders. And He, he, he gives us sometimes places of, of leadership to use those kind of personality and character traits. But there's also times when that can become a very sinful thing, as you might imagine. Uh, it can be coupled with some pride that, that kind of assumes, I really should always be in charge. I, I should always be the one who's directing things. I should always be the one who who is kind of orchestrating these things. It, it seems so natural to me uh, to try to lead that sometimes it, it really does feel like a death for me to, to step back from that and say, I don't have to be in control here. I don't have to be calling the shots. Now, there are certain times when that's easy, when I don't feel like I've got any specific direction or, or vision. But man, when I feel like this is the right way, this is what we need to do, this is what will work best, it feels like death to me to say, you know, I don't, I don't need to be proud 
and have to be the one that's controlling and orchestrating all this. I'm just going to let it go. I've learned that uh, sometimes. Sometimes I've learned that after major conflict with my spouse or with, with someone else. And, and you realize, you know, that, that wasn't worth it. Sometimes that I've learned that lesson after, after major embarrassment. And I really said, this is the right way. And then guess what? It wasn't the right way. Sometimes I, I get my way. And I lead. And we go the direction I want to go. And it was the right way to go. But then you turn around and you look at the wreckage and you think, man, look at what I did just to be able to control this. And was it really worth it? Sometimes you can be wrong even when you're, you're right. Do you understand this change process that we're talking about means that part of you needs to die. Some of you it might be lust. Some of you might be anger. Some of you it it might be unwillingness to let go of of past offenses. Some it might be financial security that you're fighting for. Some of you it might be having that right relationship. Giving those things up to become more like Jesus is going to feel like a death. But that's exactly what we're called to for for the glory of God. So how about you this morning? Are, are you committed to that change process? Are, are you committed to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? It's not easy. Uh, let me just ask you as we're closing this morning to, to think about are, are there ways in your life where you see that? You, you know, sometimes I, I think for some of us there, there has never been any of those deaths. We can't really look back and say, well, this is what I always wanted, but I gave it up and I let it go. And I'm, I'm instead choosing to follow the Lord and be faithful in becoming like Christ. And, and we're, there really are not a lot of those areas in our life. And I just think if, if that's true of you, you're not really committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ because it is a painful thing. It is, it is, a, it is a process that's described as, as death. Let me, think, let me give you, as we close this morning, a few uh, just categories of areas that you might think of in application that, that probably need some change in your life. Areas that you need to grow and change to become more like Christ. How about your speech? The Bible says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Are you becoming more and more like Jesus in the way that you communicate with people? The language that you use, the the tone that you use, the way that you talk to or about other people? Is your language language that gives grace? Jesus' language gave grace to the hearer. How about yours? How about our behaviors and our actions? the, The things that were to put off. Anger and envy and all of those things and the things that were to put on. Is your is your behavior changing? What about your thinking? The, the way that you think. The Bible says in Romans twelve uh, one that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, there there are new thoughts, new ways of thinking. What what about motivations? The the heart desires that we have. Do you know what? Really, almost all sin can be traced back to, to statements like this. You say, why did you do that? Why did you yell at that person? Why did you act sinfully in this way or that way? If you sort of trace them back, let's get back to them. You really could almost always get back to a statement like this. I wanted this. Fill in the blank. I wanted this. You see, it's a heart desire. The reason I reacted in anger is because I wanted 
this. I wanted respect or I wanted to get my way. The, the reason I did this, I wanted. There, there are desires. All of our actions come from our heart. And they show those desires. Those, that's another area that we need to be changing and becoming more like Christ. We could think of specific areas. For instance, in the area of generosity. We should be growing and becoming more like Jesus Christ in the area of generosity, in the area of giving. In the area of service, we have our sign-ups right now for, for serving in the church. Jesus says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's an area that you can grow and change and become more like Jesus Christ. You see, I think what I want to challenge this morning is if we're really going to live for the glory of God. What that means is we've got to die to ourselves. And we've got to be involved in this process of growth and change. And becoming more like Jesus Christ. I just want to challenge you this morning. Is that happening in your life? It should be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Every disciple when he is fully trained. Will be like his teacher. Are you like our master Jesus Christ?